Welcome to the 3v3 Podcast, your socially distanced hockey chat show. Here are your hosts, Cassie, Pat, and Patrick. These are truly the dog days, are they not? I did everything I had not to start, like, you know, a wooing. <laughs> I, I mean, you might prolong the episode if you were to do that, Cassie, but... Uh, no, no, we're good here. <laughs> um, or at least that's what I tell myself. Um <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so last week I left off, just let's go on a wild tangent here. Yay or nay, one coach and no tech on the bench during games. What do you say? Yay. Yay. I am very all yay. for it. Yes. So this was kind of an off the cuff proposal uh, that Sportsnet's Ken Reed delivered on an interview while, you know, Hawking, but not hawking his new book. Um, in bookstores now available for the holidays. Mm-hmm. Um, you're welcome, Ken. It's up to the listeners to figure out which book I'm talking about because he's only put out 10, I think, this month. Overachiever. Yeah, he's, he's, he's good like that. And his books are fun reads. I only have two of them so far, but... So, my take on this is that um, either coaches are bad at, at in-game like adjustments or period intermission adjustments, or players are bad at taking the coaches' um, suggestions at in-game adjustments or between period adjustments, or maybe a bit of both, because in the end, it's not really sadly uncommon to watch an NHL game in particular or most hockey games in general where a team is really struggling in the first period and then they come back in the second period and nothing has really changed. So I'm not sure what good technology on the bench and the other coaches are (laughs) in a lot of cases. You know, you see the players talking to, like, all the coaches and and everything, but in the end, it doesn't really seem to help during the course of a game. I mean, there are exceptions to the rule, of course, but for the most part, it just doesn't seem to, like, do anything. No, there's very little I think that they can do. And I just think there's just too much communication going on between people and ties. You know, one of the assistant coaches is mic'd up or has the earpiece talking to an eye in the sky. And then they're, you know, communicating with players and, and essentially the two assistants are just taking care of the line changes and the head coach jots down some notes. I mean, you know how like helpful and into the, the coaches are in the game when they can do mid game interviews, you know, mid period interviews with the media sitting on the bench. Um, You know, if, if, if you're, I mean, I guess it's a PR thing, of course, but 
if you're like really into the game and thinking you need to like fix things as you go along, then you would not probably agree to those, right? I have so many thoughts. <laughs> Share some. Yeah, leave the burden. Go before I go off again this week. Ah, <laughs> oh, dear God, coaches load those stupid in-game interviews. I know they do. But they still do them. Uh, They're required to because the broadcast partner is required of them and the teams have to acquiesce and say yada yada and hoop-de-hoo and blah 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 and it's just like shut your pie hole. He's not going to tell you anything. (laughs) I have eyes. He's going to tell me exactly what I'm saying because he's a coach. Uh, they don't need three people on the bench barking out instructions for offense, defense, and then a guy who's just sort of a playground um, playground attendant or, or recess enforcer or whatever. And they sit there with their secret service light in your monitors and their mics and they can pull up their cuff and secretly talk to the people upstairs. What did you see on that play? Okay, we'll change that immediately. Oh, God. Stop overcoaching the game. Anything else? <laughs> I'm just or do- so tired. Yeah. <laughs> or at this point, does this start getting repetitive? <laughs> Oh, it totally does. No, I know it does. No, so, no, I mean, Patrick, do you have other things to say or is this going to be, I mean, cause feel free. No, it's just going to devolve into cursing and I don't want that. Mm, okay. Yeah. Sorry, let's, let's not steal a bit from too many men. That Shana's role, let her have it. Um, So, in watching whatever we want to call the last Stanley Cup playoffs that happened in March 200s, March 200, because we're in March 300 now? Well, according to my desk clock, it's 2030, so I mean... I'm hoping someone has a star date right out there, but I couldn't get over how many times... A camera would flash to Braden Point on the Tampa Bay bench, and he's looking at an iPad. And checking his email. <laughs> Come on, checking sorry. the email. Check, check, checking the email. Was he swiping left or right a lot? Uh-huh. I couldn't tell honestly. His finger was moving a little too fast. Reading, reading Twitter. What I think he was playing mean? Pokemon Go, where you're just kind of going back and forth as fast as you can. So it's not really going in one particular direction. Because mm-hmm. I'm sure an empty arena was a great pokey stop. But I applaud him, one, for taking the initiative to always be studying his craft and, and, and analyzing his next shift. But I also found it kind of annoying. Like... As someone who both used to play because God knows when I will step on ice again and, and, and his coach from time to time, 
I feel like it would just get in the way where you're overthinking things and you're overanalyzing and you're not allowing your mind to read the situation in the moment. So in the vein of how everything is overcoached, I've been reading and listening to a lot of Daryl Belfry lately because, oh, hey, it's the holiday season. And guess who came out with a book recently? Every so he, how did you know? How it's, did it's, you know? It's been a month <laughs> since Ken Reed uh, released a book. I think he needs <sighs> to release another one. I got to go back and find some of the book ideas I've sent him over time. See if he's done that one yet. But one of the problems in overcoaching and the concept of not coaching towards offense is everything is coached in a way that's dictated towards or by defensive systems. Basically, a defensive system is some sort of structure, a concept built around a structure, and basically it's you go here, you go here, and mind your space between player X and player Y, and it, it's easy to diagram. Where coaching offense is all about flow and trying to disrupt or trying to find gaps or create gaps within that defensive structure. And Terrell, he was on uh, the Hockey Think Tank podcast run by uh, Topher Scott, former NCAA player, and Jeff, I'm going to mispronounce this. Uh, I thought it was Jeff Lavecchio, former pro player and, you know, the AHL and in Europe. And now they're co- he's a coach at, uh, and trainer in the St. Louis area where they're producing lots of players who end up getting drafted and happen to have parents that aren't the, the Kachucks. So these guys are pr- pretty interesting. Listen, I, I'm a casual listener anyway. Get to the point, Belfry t- talks about how simple drills in practice and what you do in practice translates to the game. Everything is, is dictated towards a defensive z- system. For example, when a player crosses the blue line into the offensive zone and they're taught, okay, unless you can go wide around the defender and then cut inside, you turn your back to the defender and curl back up the boards. It's a, it's a strategy to protect the puck instead of, you know, throwing a shot on net. Hello, Carolina Hurricanes. Hold on to the puck for once in a while. Um, because every shot is a good shot, and that's a concept that is taught and, and, and preached and encouraged. But all these things are, and the point Daryl made is, everything is thrown right back into a defensive system. So the guy that curls up the boards, he kind of slows himself down, puts his back to the play and the back, his back to, or her back to wherever the pressure is coming from. And you're kind of taking yourself out, out of one, the ability to make a play to your, your line of sight is no longer looking at the largest 
area of the playing surface and you're eating your you're walking right into a trap essentially like a defender sees the curl he can you know collapse on you guys can anticipate what you're going to do you're not you've done nothing productive you've done what the coach wanted you to do and then that coach will come back and complain at you because you you didn't create any offensive chances you didn't take any risks and nothing came of it but he's done exactly what the coach has wanted so it's this weird place of i'm doing exactly what you want but you're asking me to succeed where there's limited to no success well and it's, you don't it's give a, me the rope to do it do as i say not as i do i guess being trying to be creative ultimately what it all comes down to is everybody's being micromanaged Oh, to the nth degree. I mean, to the point where like players are sitting on the bench reviewing what they did in their last shift on an iPad when they should just be like thinking about the next shift instead of reviewing the last one. You know, it's like this is what you did wrong here and here and here and here. So don't do that in the next shift. And it's like they're over they're, they're micromanaging how they play over correcting, you know, things that don't necessarily need to be overcorrected. Um, you and, know, and, and you said something perfectly. Here's something that you did wrong. Was it wrong, or is it just not what someone else wanted? Or is it just not what was drawn up, right? Exactly. Because it's like hockey. You can, and, and I think that this is really the problem: is that hockey coaches are trying to coach hockey like basketball. Basketball is well first of all you know nba players are way too big for the court so it's like three steps and they're from one end to the other right but um you mean they're athletes yeah so um you know it's it's a free-flowing sport you make it up as you go along you have set plays when you start from a stoppage and then you just really kind of make it up as you go along because in a static environment, sure, you can set up those plays, but you can't do that in a game because the other team isn't going to do what you've diagrammed the other team should be doing. And so, you know, it's you're focusing on the negatives of your game. You need to fix this. You need to fix that. You didn't go there. You didn't do this. You didn't shoot that way. You weren't facing this way, you know, blah, 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 micromanaging instead of going, okay, you know, we entered the zone. We got a couple shots. This is good. Let's try replicating that and get into better position, blah, blah, blah. So, I mean, it's just, it's, that's really what's killing creativity in hockey is everybody's being micromanaged. And we all know what being micromanaged feels like in like an office environment or school or whatever. We all hate it. <laughs> we all are like, you don't have to stand behind me, breathing down my neck, making sure I'm doing things exactly the way you want me to do them. I'm a professional. I can figure this out. Thank you. You know, but in hockey, it's acceptable. And they're taught that that's how it should be. And it's not. Because you haven't earned your autonomy. But then it's like the military. Once you earn your autonomy, you're used to being told what to do, how to do it all the time. And once you're not told that, you're not sure what you're supposed to be doing. No. Once once you've earned your autonomy, you've proven that you can do what you've been exactly what they want you to do. Right. 
You don't right. deviate from the plan. Just like a youth hockey player who was deemed fast at age 10 and just goes through the motions and he is either a the most skilled at what he does or he's a superior athlete, but he's never taught anything from that point forward. And that starts a process of turning players into robots. It's. It's just we're we're caught in an endless loop. We really are. And we talk about this, quote unquote, generational player who comes along once in a while. Every five or so years. And at each draft, there's, you know, two to three players who can immediately enter the league and and, and hold their own. I'm not, I'm not going to say succeed. I'm not going to say excel, but not get eaten alive and all we're doing is we're not creating enough players who can process and think and learn on their own and just having up team million coaches on the bench is just a byproduct of all that like i've seen youth games where there's seven seven parents on the bench i'm just wondering what the heck are they all doing Besides getting in kids' ways. People are being rewarded with ice time and more responsibility for not making mistakes as opposed to people being rewarded for being creative and, you know, creating offense or stopping, like, an you know, offensive player coming back. Ultimately, that's it. It's or like, they uh, convert at a percentage, whether it be scoring or shutting down plays, where it makes mistakes more acceptable than the average player. Right. It's like if you can, if you can out. I mean, if you can outscore everybody else, but you're not great defensively, then you're going to be like moved on to the next level more readily than somebody who does everything they're supposed to do, but doesn't necessarily score. So wouldn't it be nice if we kind of shifted, not not necessarily eliminate jobs, because I, I think posing the idea of only having one coach on the bench will get the coaches' unions up in arms because it's, oh, let's take away these jobs. Well, how about we just refocus your responsibility and you don't have to worry about all this in-game stuff? Because, you know, when things... It's easy to micromanage things within a game when you have enough people beside you to do things that you don't want to do in the moment or when you realize there are a bunch of things that you don't have to do. And maybe you shift the jobs around and create, you know, goaltending excellence departments instead. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. Oh, dear God. Every time, every time I see the name Rob Tallis, I just flinch. And it's because he played junior hockey with the Seattle Thunderbirds. And I actually knew him when he played hockey with the Seattle Thunderbirds. So (laughs) it's like 20 years later, he's 30 years later, he's, you know, doing this thing with um, Luongo, and every single time I see his name, I just flinch. 
I don't know. Anyway, um, <clears throat> so have they defined what hockey excellence is? This is the NHL. Of course they haven't. <laughs> um, is is this the new associate coach? Is this just a way to frame a department and to give the one you know, job? Well, he technically already had a job, but now this may give him a, a new job title that isn't special assistant to the regional manager. Could you explain to me what it is you actually do here, Roberto? I take the requirements from the coach to the goalie coach. And don't touch uh, his red stapler. I take the requirements from the coach and present them to the goalie coach. But who's the coach he's taking the requirements from? Because it's that, sure that is coach. <laughs> Oh, no, it's a head coach. Who has never played a, um, the position a day in his life? Doesn't matter. The head coach says make him better. Roberto says, I'll go tell him. Coach we, says need, make him we need him to be better. Okay. Or, or we need him to make the big save. Yeah. Okay. We'll get right on that. Mm -hmm. Hey, guys. Coach Q says we need to make the big save. Thanks, Roberto. All right. Let me know if you need anything else. You know. Mm -hmm. So does Google still make Google Glass? Is that what it was called? The, the little eyeglass, like, monocle thing? that they used to have like a couple years ago because that would be perfect for goalies because goalies can't always get to the bench to get to the iPad. Okay, so hear me <laughs> out on this. Everyone wants the goaltending equipment to be slimmer and slimmer and slimmer. And as an aside, there should be a media day where all media members have to do like a, a goalie demo of equipment and take shots from beer leaguers and let's see what they think afterwards. But a trade-off to shrinking the equipment, specifically the uh, chest protector, is they get to wear the gorgle glass in-game to help track the puck. Let's get nuts. Let's give them lacrosse-style equipment or, you know, regular player pads. But then they get this advantage. And then let's see what happens. They can have whatever pads they want. <laughs> well, no, no, no one's going to go, you know, raid Garth Snow's house for mm. some of his old stuff. But shrink, shrink the le leg pads to below 12 inches. Cap them off at the knees. But then they get puck tracking technology in their masks. Did you Let's say, go. Take, did you say take them out at the knees like Tanya Harding? <laughs> I can neither confirm nor deny what I said. Okay. Yeah. We have it on tape. We can find out. I'm supposed to tape these things? Damn. Wait, we release these to the public? Yeah. <laughs> Am I the only one who knows what's going on around here? <laughs> Something's going on? Where? This is news to me. 
Well, no, we're we're still waiting from word from Roberto to tell us what to do. Oh. I've been on vacation for two weeks already, and it feels like a month. But a month felt like a year, so I guess I've been on vacation for I don't know anymore. Ticking We're away the, the moments. Singularity of the black hole. <laughs> ticking away the moments to make up a dull day. Further and waste the hours in an offhand way. <sighs> Where the hell was I going? Oh, um, I don't remember what podcast I was listening to. You would probably, I don't know if you heard it either, Pat, but um, uh, there was goalie equipment talk that basically boiled down to, and, and this is going to sound very old manish, but basically boiled down to, the reason you don't see the the off kilter person becoming the goalie is because it doesn't hurt anymore. There's no, it doesn't hurt as much. I'm not saying they still can't get whacked up by the collarbone or something, but I mean even just shots off the the leg pads or the chest protector don't hurt nearly like they used to. No. Like silly bruises, though. Uh, not as much as they used to. Uh, there are plenty of gaps and holes, and I can uh, sure. Oh. No, I'm. Not, I am not denying that fact at all. All I am simply saying is, where, regardless of that, because the gaps and holes have kind of always been there, right? These aren't new gaps and holes, by and large. Mm -hmm. Those have always been there, but just the overall, you know, it it doesn't hurt as much. And I don't buy the shrinking of the equipment is going to make it hurt more. That's a load of bull. The technology that they use to make those equipment, to make the equipment does not decrease in effectiveness when it's decreased in surface area. Let's just put it that way. Agree to disagree. Only because I have worn pro stock or pro return chest protectors before and leg pads, absolutely. I agree 100%. Um, Pants, yeah, you're fine. It's the chest protector in the neck area, in the collarbone area, that's the biggest concern to me. And that's and that's a concern that has always been there. And and that's going to be the biggest. I'm always going to throw back if if the skaters in the league want to see this happen to the goalies, give up your carbon fiber sticks and let's go back to wood for one season. Let's go baseball style. You can use whatever you want, whatever will last you know, a full <clears throat> week um, season. And, uh, but when you get to the pros, you got to use something made from a tree. Let's see how you do then. Cause the shots will still hurt, but not from as many players. True. Which, and I hate, and I hate saying is, name in this context because it generally is just like you know saying Beetlejuice three times he'll he'll appear and it'll become a topic next week 
But this always comes back to one of the points that Merrick has, which is one of the curious things that he always said about the the, the puck tracking is, is you're going to find out how hard some of these guys shoot. Is it speed or accuracy, right? Mm-hmm. Now, are they getting an extra two or three miles an hour off the carbon fiber versus wood or composites? Or are they getting an extra 10? I can't see it being 10. So I guess it depends on on it depends on flex versus um, stick speed. Right. And you think they're not going to be able to cap- they're not going to be capable of finding a wood flex that, you know, provides them roughly within a mile or two of what they had in carbon? Or graphite or whatever they want to use. Well, the the difference now would be that um, back in the day when they made wood sticks, it was actually wood and fiberglass. Yeah. And so what would technically be a wood stick? Would it be wood and carbon instead of fiberglass? I mean, is it does it just have to have a wood to be counted as a wood stick, and uh-huh. there's something else? Or- I, w- I would say it needs to be a non-hollowed stick shaft with a blade of your choosing, because it it's the I don't want to get all physics because I all that stuff left my mind years ago and my kids haven't started that. So I'm, I'm not in a position where I'm starting to relearn everything, but the force that the bendable carbon fiber shafts can generate for your average Joe or Jane is much better than the wood stick. Like ally Afraidy is always going to be ally Afraidy, but But my question, though, is does it have to be a solid wood stick or because back in the day, the wood sticks weren't always solid wood. They were layered with fiberglass. Yeah, I'm fine with that because that helps hold the integrity of the stick together just a little longer. It's, It's just an outer shell. I don't think that's an issue. And back to Merrick, the point Jeff Merrick has made. I can't wait till we all find out that shooting speed really doesn't matter all that much. Right. It's all about the angle at which you shoot at, the time it takes you to release the puck. So it gets on your blade. How quickly does it come off? Right. So you're you're kind of making my argument for me to a certain degree. I am, but I just kind of want to see it so they bring back the wood stick so I can get some. Well, I don't care. I would love to. Oh, God, I miss my wood sticks. Um, my, my fundamental problem is, is to your point, Cassie, about whip and, and flex and all of that stuff, the, the composites allow them to um, allow players to impart less force to get the same amount of whip than a wood stick. Because right. wood flex, you know, wood wood by nature does not want to flex doesn't matter how you do it and especially when you've got stick shafts like that but you could find some pretty whippy wood sticks so they had to put more effort into it and of course over time 
you know, because of the way they were made, they would lose some of their whippiness. They always, you know, players would always complain about dead sticks, right? Oh, I'd lose the feel for the puck by the time the third period came around. Oh, I've gone bull hockey on that, but sure, okay, I'm not a professional. Sure, you know. I know when my bass strings start falling off, I can feel it. So, okay, I'll give it to you. Um, so, you know, it's it, shrinking the goalie equipment. Still, still there. Because these guys aren't going to be shooting any any harder than they already do. And if they're not shooting that hard to begin with, what the hell's the difference? You know, the holes that are in the goaltender's pads are still going to be there. They've been there from pretty much the dawn of time to a certain degree. And nobody's nobody is really outside of the gobbler. Nobody's really come up with anything to sort of cover that neck and, and collarbone area. And all the gobbler did was just, you know, take the force of something and slap the plexiglass into your chat or, or into your neck, but hey. Mm, just saying. So I think the moral here is let's just debunk a bunch of myths. Whether it be in coaching and equipment, you know, nature finds a way. And thankfully, hockey has plenty of robots, so it'll take years to catch up with nature. Of course. (laughs) Of course. (laughs) Also, it would just be chaos to see all these kids that have never used a wood stick in their outside of maybe their first hockey class ever for half of them. The other half, their parents gave them a a tool that they were neither equipped for nor needed. But, you know. Can you imagine the epic whining that would happen if they actually had to use a wood stick? And that's why it would be great. I just want to see what happens. I want to see Ryan O'Reilly attempt to modify the blade the way a a carbon fiber mold does it for him. Because that's the thing. Most curves were, it was the size and the shape, whether, you know, how rounded the radius around the edge of the toe is, how your heel sits, but the way it bent and curved, that was all on you. You had to do the work after that point. Yeah. Oh, the hours of stepping and <laughs> and experimentation and experimenting. Yeah. Yes. Using the hand torch and and like, I I want to see a camera crew follow like three or four guys throughout the season as they test and tinker, just because it'd be fascinating. Lighten your darts from the hand torch while you're while you're softening up to fiberglass wrap on mm-hmm. the plate. To, Wait, step on it. Yeah. There's a number of former players who I could name drop here saying, oh, they're playing again. Is Mario making a second comeback? Al, I just, to me, it was always Ally Freddy. Just, you know, shirt off, built like a, built like a brick outhouse, you know, with that crusty the Clown hair he had going. Oh, there was a couple of shot pictures of him. I wish I could find him again. I don't remember where the hell I saw him, but just epic. Sitting, you know, sitting. He's sitting there with the with the hand torch and the, you know, 
at his blade and he's got a dart hanging out from his mouth and the, the crusty the clown hair going and, and no shirt on i mean not that i'm for cancer sticks you know because smoking is god awful but yeah you know so what you're saying is i should use l i afraidy's face on my future crusty jugglers logo for yes Hot jersey mm-hmm. yes because mm-hmm. i was gonna do a modified coloring of crusty the clown himself but this might work better okay l for l afraidy on a unicycle juggling balls It always makes me think of the guy in Portland. <laughs> I guess that's that's another comment for another time, I suppose. I'm guessing not one of the new owners of the Winterhawks. No. Oh, I mean, no. Look at that segue. Holy hell, dude. You just... I, I, this is what happens when you read a lot. <laughs> Especially on Sunday when my mental capacity is at its highest and it just goes downhill from here, friends. <laughs> just, you just picked that seg- I mean, Cassie just laid it out there and you went, hey, I like you. And just <laughs> slapped that sucker right deep straight to center. Good gravy. Yeah. Um, I love how everybody was freaked out about are they going to move the team? <laughs> totally. Well, I would- yeah, first of all, yeah, why? Why? Why, why would, would you move that team? That That's just like... Well, I think... The Winterhawks have a rabid fan base. Why would I you think some of it was because they all heard that the club was in receivership. Yeah. And they thought that, you know, it was in a bad financial situation when it was really the owner's other businesses and the club was actually making money. Mm-hmm. That's one of the few WHL American-based clubs that does fairly well financially. Um, so yeah, people are like, are they going to move the club? And the guys are like, no, we have no intention. You think we're stupid? Yeah. Is, you know, well, they, they are becoming hockey owners, so we got to be careful. Not all of them. Are. Yeah, but they're WHL owners. Right? And they're not former players, so yeah, you're you're probably right. God, I wish I, I'm. You have a I problem with Cam Loops? Yeah. <laughs> no, I love them for breakfast. Cam Loops Blazers, who are owned by how many NHLers or former NHLers, I guess, at this point? Uh, at least three I can think of off the top of my head. Recky, Sador. Um, well, who else played there? Ginla. <laughs> we don't uh, have that much time. Right. I mean, it's just. Yeah. I think when I think the rule is that if you played in Kamloops and get drafted in the NHL, and and it used to be if you played a hundred games, you were just immediately added to the ownership group. But I think they had to up it because too many of them were playing a hundred games. So I think <laughs> yeah. they upped it to like five hundred games. Then you could be part. Then you just are automatically given you like one percent ownership share or something. Pretty or much. is this like a repayment of a you know a loan that they got under the table? Once upon a time. Oh, you, you. So this is sort of a reverse scholarship type thing. Oh wait, I'm sorry. We're we're not talking about the London Knights here. So no, oh. no, Camloops, Camloops Blazers. Focus. Yeah. <laughs> oh, you went there. I went there. Oh, <laughs> oh 
mercy. God, I cannot find it. Had to. I think it was in the hockey news or something. Where I saw that Freddy shot. Because I just can't find it. Damn it all the hell. I mean, you can find shots of him at the skills competition with that, you know, can't even call it a skullet. Because he had the he had the poof on the top. It was total crusty clown hairdo. <sighs> Fine. Okay. Um I, uh, um, topic one, topic two. Yeah, I had nothing else. <laughs> I mean, we. I think we accomplished more than the NHL owners have this week and the PA. So, or at uh, least as much because we're sitting around talking about hockey. This. Is- yeah, I guess they did start talking again. So. I don't want to make any commentary because it's all been said about how you know the owners just went. You don't want to give us, we're not moving until you give us money back. Players are like, well, we're not moving. Owners. What do we do now? <laughs> Gary, what do we do now? <laughs> we play. They're not-, they're, not, they're not moving, Gary. Okay, so we play yeah. with the deal. Gary, I said we play with the deal. Gary. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> <sighs> And I can't wait for a year from now and everyone drops this. And I mean the 31 owners or whatever, two or three really think this was a terrible deal for the owners. Uh, drop the stance that Batman really failed them. Yeah, I don't know where they're even getting that. It, it it's, it's I know where it's coming from. I know where it's coming from. I know why they're saying it. But this is a situation where, guess what? Your other businesses aren't going to benefit from you owning a hockey team right now. Uh, get your house in order. and Because if we don't do this, one of your businesses is going to fold pretty soon. Your prestige, your prestige club business, because that's all it is, right? I'm in a prestigious club. There's only 31 available owners. Well, that, and I mean, you could eventually lose, you know, a services contract at an arena because you're losing one of your main tenants. But yeah, yeah, the prestige, the, the all the way. It's a van. It's a vanity business. Yeah. Yeah. It's like most teams, as we all know, don't actually make money. I think that is a lie. I think more of them make money than you think. They're just terrible in spending that. Oh, and when I say make money, I mean it's razor thin profit. They are not hand. There are a few that are hand over fist. Yes. Um, But I, I am hard pressed to to your to disagree with you, Pat. I was trying to find a better way to say it. Yeah. Screw it. I'm hard pressed to believe that even Florida is that far in the red. I don't know. Something. I I mean, there's a reason why they do it, and it can't just be for vanity, although most of it is for vanity. But um, it's. It's not that they make a ton of money off of it. They almost all have to make some kind of monetary benefit from it, or else why bother? But 
mean, with the profit sharing, I'm sh- I'm sure teams like Florida are helped. I think to your point, Cassie, it's one of those. Is it a wise investment? Oh hell, no. no God, it's dude. no. No, because you're not. You're never going to make the return on. You're never going to make the rate of return on your investment that you expect for the volume of that investment, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. If I invest five hundred and fifty million dollars into something, I would want you know something more appreciable than a percent a year increase, mm-hmm. <laughs> which is kind of what you end up with in some cases in hockey. You know, because hell, I throw it in a savings account, I'd be earning more than a one percent, right? So, uh, it is just, uh, some of them do it for the love of the game. Some of them do it for this prestige. Some of them do it because they think they know better. And some do see it as an investment, which is sad. Unless you're one of the teams that are actually making a ton of money. But, yeah. Well, which aren't owned by individuals. No, right. That's what I was going to say. You can't buy those teams. I mean, no. outside of... Boston, you know, you think about the other big money makers. Oh, actually, no, Boston, Montreal, right? Because Jeff Molson's the private owner. Yeah. But he needs the backing of a large corporation, which his family's name is on, in order to be a sole owner. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Also, it always makes me wonder why they're not willing to do more to raise revenues. Since, you know, they technically have to split it. And it seems like the leagues just have some funny and fuzzy accounting. Because we always hear when the Forbes lists come out how the math is wrong or off or not accurate. I do think there are plenty of teams in the red. I'm just not so sure it's as many as we think. I, I just think there's some fuzzy accounting going on. Multi-billionaires actually hiding how much money they make? Faulty accounting? That seems so weird. I don't think it's faulty accounting. I think it's creative accounting because you yes. want, you know, how many of them are using, how many of them are using the franchise as a write-off, Right. To offset, mm-hmm. you know, to offset gains in other areas. We have to show a loss. Right? Mm-hmm. We have to show a loss somewhere to offset this. Otherwise, you're going to get hammered harder for taxes. Mm-hmm. And that's why the salary cap is what it is. And that's also why this whole BS about taxes being an impact of players' salaries and all that crap is just ass nine talk. Well, I'm going to go there because it's a zero in state income tax rules. They get you in other ways if it's a zero income tax state. Exactly. They're getting their money. Are you going to buy a house there? Yeah, we'll say goodbye to that because there's a yeah. real estate tax. Exactly. Are you going to live there? Property tax, any- good luck. Yep. Yeah, are you going <laughs> to live there any period of time? Well, have fun paying higher rates for gas and food and everything because sales taxes tend to be higher. So mm-hmm. No, see, the tax thing is just a lie agents tell the players because it, they're dealing with the GMs they like better. Yeah, and I think it's just one of those. It's just become such a thing. And I, I want to say it was all started by Kiprios. Who just kept banging on about it, and I'm like, dude. Well, Brian gotta, Burke is very 
like oh he, well I, he doesn't necessarily bang that drum but he he is very big on this is the excuse that players use it's more palatable for certain people who are in hockey and who watch hockey for them to believe that a player is going to Florida because they have there's zero income tax there rather than they're going to Florida because they like the weather. Yeah, the the whole notion of they're going to make more money is is always it, right? Or they're going to make more money because they're not paying as much in taxes. You know, that's why they don't want to go to Canada is because they're going to make more money because of all the taxes. Well, how about Canada is not like running? A lot of Canadian true. teams are not really ran very well. <laughs> some of it, there's that, and some of it's true, yeah. But you're also getting paid in U.S., so you've already got you know anywhere from twenty to thirty percent increase on what you would be earning if you were paid in Canadian, and you're you're taxed differently depending on where you play. You know. I didn't realize this, but apparently you're only taxed at the provincial rate for the games you play in that province. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So 41 games, you get taxed at Quebec's rate. The other 41 are dispersed across the other provinces in all the U.S., you know, which you don't get taxed in. And if you've got an account... Oh, no, that's not true. You yep. are performers are actually taxed yeah and it, it and it gets muddy and hairy and i just think it makes the agent's lives easier yeah it's just <laughs> just it's work just, u.s teams yeah it's just a catchphrase because yeah. you know back in the day back in my day you know these guys didn't have the financial planning and the accountants and and you know not a lot of them did um that they have available to them today. So, you know. Yeah, it's you got just a, a PR move. Yeah, you get a good accountant, you're not going to pay any taxes. I'm not going to say that. You're not going to pay the the doomsday tax rates that everyone thinks they're you, you're going to get hit with. You know, there's ways to hide investments. There's yeah. all that kind of crap. So, you know, the, the lower end guys, sure. But even there, you know, it's they better be saving for their future anyway. So I'd love to turn this into uh, instead of guys want to stay in their home markets and or they don't want to play in Canada because all this. I wish they would now say, let's create super teams down in the low earning or high red markets and prop up the league. Let's just flip everything around sort of like NBA teams do. Instead of going for a destination, let's just get this franchise to make a bunch of money so we make a bunch of money. Because that's not going to happen if everyone goes to Toronto or Montreal. Well, sure it is, because if you listen to people in Toronto, they fund the other 30 teams in the league. Yes, but they also drive up the cost of running your franchise in the league as well, and then you got to keep up with the Joneses. What do you mean? You mean not every AHL-affiliated team has two buses and video coaches and a full NHL 
compliment of coaches. I'm sorry, did you pronounce ECHL incorrectly? Oh, I'm sorry. Well, I, they only have one bus down at the ECHL. Oh, my mistake. My mistake. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You mean I, I'm at a loss, Pat? I, I, you mean there's there's inequity? What? There, there I, might be. I thought there was parity in this league. <laughs> so I keep getting told anyway. <laughs> P-A-R-O-D-Y, not parody. Uh, right? yeah, I uh, think there's parody, not parity. Oh, yeah. oh, I see. Okay. I think there's a lot of parody in this league. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I think we need a question because I've got an NBA preseason game to go watch because they've got their shit together. Who? Um, okay, so those words just came out of your mouth, and it sounded so wrong. <laughs> it, it really did. Oh. All right, so I'm gonna I'm going to revisit something that that probably hasn't been discussed in a long time, or at least seemingly long time since you know it's it's March, December, two hundred and fifty-eighth. Um, so. Back in the wild and heady days of the 90s when, when you know, everybody was getting expansion teams like, you know, you hand out Halloween candy. There was talk of expanding to Europe, the NHL expanding to Europe. And so I would like to know if you guys think that will ever happen. This has been the 3B3 Podcast. Follow us on Twitter at 3B3Podcast. We're available for NHL consulting at reasonable fees.